Bick and the Boss. Unreal! All the people right here, unreal. Love them all. Let's party hard. Our time, baby. Back to back. That's how we do it. I wish we could keep everybody, but that's business. You know, but you know, as of right now, let's party hard. Let's enjoy it. Yeah, we deserve it. Sportsnet 650. That's how we do it. It's Nikita Kucherov. Loving life right now uh, for the Tampa Boat Parade. Uh, that part of it. I, I think the rest of it got <laughs> rained out. So, uh, unfortunately. That's Nikita for... Kucherov. I thought that was you. <laughs> what, yesterday? Reveling yeah. in uh, the big result? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, taking it all in. Walking no, through Olympic what? Village with the Godfather music playing. <laughs> giving, giving your takes. So... So I was out yesterday, yeah, around Olympic Village, and man, there is certain like songs you hear, you know, soundtracks, musical scores that like send you into a bit of a trance. So I was walking, and obviously some people were celebrating Italy winning the, the Euro 2020, and someone on like a violin somewhere, I'm not even sure where, but they played like a couple of seconds or notes of The Godfather, and I was like, oh, my, this is amazing. Yes. It was, it was too far away for me to like go and chase down the performance, but I could hear it, and like a bunch of my friends all looking at it was like, that, like, what a song to play at that moment. That is what the kids call a flex. Oh, yeah. Just, just brilliant. I was just like, all right, there's Mancini pulling the strings, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm fired up to, to get to your Southgate takes later, so uh, yeah. she's just setting the stage. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, C-Mac will join us at 2.30, uh, but we will talk to uh, Anthony Stewart in just a moment. Sportsnet NHL analyst uh, set to join us here in just a second. Continue the conversation about that Duncan Keith trade. Does it work out for them? Uh, I did want to catch up on the text message inbox, though, 650, 650. Uh, A couple of more don't at me's rolled in when we went to break there. We started talking to Jonathan Willis. Uh, don't at me. The only reason uh, Jim Benning passed on Duncan Heath was so he could trade for OEL Craig in Burnaby. Here's the thing with with Ekman Larson. We've talked about this a lot uh, you know, the past two weeks once that name kind of resurfaced. Like, when I try to work out the machinations of it, and this is just me... You know, just a guy hanging out, talking sports in Coquitlam. I'm not an NHL GM or anything like that. But it, it really does my head in of how to, like, make the trade work with Vancouver. You know, for, for, forget interest level and all this sort of stuff. I just don't understand, like, I just don't understand for where the Coyotes are in their timeline and their motivations to make the trade and for what the Canucks re- realistically need to do for them. I, I, I just don't see it, Craig. And so, like, I wouldn't be too worried about that as far as, you know, if you're still hanging on to the idea of the Canucks are going to acquire Ekman Larson. It just, it, it looks too tough for me. Well, at, at the time when the, the rumors surfaced in the offseason, it was predicated on Ekman Larson has this very short list, and we've been talking about Duncan Keith and the the destinations that he might end up. At the time, it was Vancouver or Boston, and the details in Ekman Larson's interest in Vancouver were, yes, some hockey related thinks that the team might be on the rise after their play in the bubble. Uh, Elias Pettersson's an elite player. Quinn Hughes is an elite player. There's some building blocks here for the team, but the, the rest of it was 
I think mostly emotional. Uh, there's a Swedish connection here with the uh, past players. I mean, now the Sedins are in the front office instead of just being franchise icons. Uh, there is, uh, this is a great place to live uh, if you've been able to hang out around the city. We, we're past the heat wave and uh, we're into that summer phase where frankly, not, and not that the players would be here at this time of year anyway, but this is uh, one of the best places in the world to live. And so it, it felt like there was a lot of emotions driving that decision that had little to do with hockey, the machinations of actually making the thing work. And uh, the only way that I could wrap it around my head was that if Oliver Ekman Larson was allowed to alter his contract and say, you know right. what, I, I, I need to move on. Uh, I'm willing to rip my contract up and make something work in Vancouver at a reasonable deal that uh, you know values what I've done in my career and also lets me play in, in Vancouver for a few years. That's uh, not possible. Yeah. So we're left with trying to put all of these square pegs and round holes and what kind of acquisition uh, similar to the Keith stuff, even though he's much younger, uh, where does he fit on this team? What would he bring to the table? How many futures are, are worth there with the salary cap space taken up all of that? It's, it's a bit of a bridge too far. Israel fair and Bick Nazar here on Bick and the boss joining us now, the Sportsnet NHL analyst, the great Anthony Stewart on the line, and you can hear him on uh, Fan 590 as well. Anthony, thanks a lot for giving us some time today. Uh, a trade in the NHL uh, with Duncan Keith ending up in Edmonton. Uh, your first reaction to that move? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, and uh, again, I'm not going to get on Duncan Keith and being you know closer to 40 than he is 30. Again, future Hall of Famer and uh, has won multiple Stanley Cups for the Chicago Blackhawks and has been a pillar on that blue line for the last you know decade and a bit. Uh, but I'm just saying right now for the Edmonton Oilers, you know they have a lot of things on their wish list, and uh, you know I think uh, a top five or six defenseman is not really on that. So if I'm Edmonton right now and I got some cap space, I'm looking to get some depth scoring, uh, you know, some wingers possibly for uh, McDavid or Drysital and uh, maybe even some goaltending. So right now, it's, it's we'll see how the, the chips are going to fall here if they have some more moves up their sleeve. But uh, for the first reaction, I'd have to go a little bit surprised. Uh, we're out of the, the Canadian division, obviously, going back to the, the regular setups, though. Seattle will be joining the Pacific. When you look at Edmonton and they add Keith, and we could talk all day long about whether or not he's still going to be a difference maker for them, how they might use him, all that kind of stuff. But when you look at the Oilers, you look at those two guys at the top of the lineup, uh, and, and there's the at least the expectation that they will be able to add at least another guy up front to, to help them move that along. Where do you see them fitting into the Pacific Division based on, on what they've got with this team going on right now? And, and you're talking about the Oilers, right? Yeah, Edmonton. Yeah, Edmonton. so with Edmonton, yeah, it's going to be, you know, as when you got the two, two of the top five best players in, in the National Hockey League, you always have a chance, right? But you're looking at the problem that they've had in playoffs and, you know, when you shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl, um, you know, it's a totally different team. And in the regular season, they're going to get their cookies. They're going to put up their 100, 110, 115 points. But in the playoffs, it's a totally different beast where you saw the Winnipeg Jets come in there and not completely shut them down, but, you know, cut their current scoring rate, uh, you know, close to in half. So um, in an 82-game season, you need depth. You need different pieces. You need young guys stepping up right now. So with the Oilers, 
yeah, they're going to be a playoff team, but I think it's going to be status quo until they really address some of these long-term issues, right? They need some young guys stepping up. They need some guys on the wing, uh, and they need a goaltender that can step in or a goalie and a half now that can step in and play 82 games and do the job. So um, if I'm McDavid, I'm saying, hey, you know what? It's a great move adding Duncan Keith, but, you know, what else? What else do we got? Where's the beef, as they say? Uh, Anthony Stewart joining us here on Vic and the Boss. So we, we were just kind of talking about how this relates to the Vancouver Canucks, obviously. You know, to me, the Pacific Division is it's Vegas, it's Edmonton kind of leading the way. And Vancouver's got to try to close that gap a bit. Now, Duncan Keith, yeah, he's older. But I do look at this and think for the here and now, for for this upcoming season, they did get marginally better. Now we can talk about, hey, this is good for the franchise long-term, all that sort of stuff. But for next season... I feel like they did improve. Is that ring true for you? Yeah, if I'm in Vancouver, I'm looking, how do I sign Brandon Sutter? And I know you don't want to hear that, Edmonton Oilers fans, but you, I won't be surprised if he gets a, a half-decent contract somewhere else uh, you know, throughout the National Hockey League too. But uh, with the Canucks, uh, I think they have to you know, add by a little bit of subtraction here. I know Nate Schmidt's looking to possibly get traded to. Uh, Vertanen may be on his way out too, but I think with the – Vancouver Canucks, they have some big, big money problems. Are they going to bridge Hughes? Um, are they going to bridge uh, Patterson? Uh, you know, they signed uh, Demko to the deal as well, too. So money's really, really tight. Who are they going to buy out? So I think if they do some addition by subtraction and most of the moves Jim Benning, uh, he could not do just because they were pretty much cap-strapped with regards to the cap. So I could see if they could buy out a contract or two. I'm not too sure if they can do that. Are they going to be able to add some solid young pieces? And I think the pieces that they need, they need guys to come in and outperform their current cap. There's too many guys that are underachieving now. They didn't have enough depth. So I'd like them now, if they go out to the market and get some players, which is going to be tough under their current cap uh, restraints, uh, bring in some guys that are proven commodities, know what they're going to do, and they're going to perform, they're outperform their cap hit. There's an expectation, or maybe it's just a hope in Vancouver that they might be able to make a move before the expansion draft lists have to be sent in, take advantage of a team that, that thinks that they might lose a guy. So if they can swing, swing a trade and, and get a pick for someone that they might lose to Seattle for nothing, the Canucks could take advantage. Uh, it's, it's far from certain. It seems like around the league, GMs learned uh, the hard way, uh, in some cases, uh, what to do ahead of the expansion draft based on what we saw with Vegas in 2017. Where are you at? What do you think it might play out, not just in Vancouver, but across the league as, as some teams are in a pretty tough spot and, and might be trying to move some salary before they have to, to make those expansion lists, uh, yeah, send, send them in yeah, by the last, end of the week? Last, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but last year before the, uh, the the pandemic, everyone was talking about, yeah, everyone learned their lesson. They're not going to be giving uh, Seattle any uh, any favors here and saying, hey, take who you want, take who you want. But there's some teams now that are in very, very tough financial constraints where they're going to be like, please take this guy. We'll give you whatever you want. And, you know, all roads lead back to Toronto, as they say, too. You saw what happened when they were trying to get rid of uh, Patrick Marlowe. It cost them a first-rounder. So it's going to cost some of these teams some picks if they're going to really want to get some uh, get rid of some of these contracts. So if I'm Vancouver, I'm figuring out a way to, to possibly buy out, a, uh, you know, get one of these guys taken off the contract, off the, off the roster, you know, as opposed to buying them out, too, because, again, money is really, really at a premium right now, too. So Vancouver... Um, as I mentioned before, I don't think they have to make, you know, huge changes, but they just have to do some adding by subtracting. 
So on 31 Thoughts the other day, on Friday, Elliot puts in his uh, notes there for Vancouver that they're looking for a center with some heft. Now, you mentioned Brandon Sutter, uh, his name earlier. To me, I look at Sutter and I think, hey, that's a guy that has size. And now a lot of people are getting caught up in the idea of what heft means. And, you know, there's a fear that it's going to be a, you know, a six foot four, two fifteen guy that maybe doesn't move around the ice very well. When you hear heft in, in today's NHL, like what does that mean when you're talking about a center who plays with size or has size? Uh, for me, it's just a guy that, especially in the West, that can sort of skate through his checks and be able to handle some of those big, big, you know, West centers. We're talking about Ryan Getzlaff, you know, the last five, ten years in that Western Conference. But I'm just trying to think. I'm going through my list right now. That's the thing. The market is pretty, pretty thin. Uh, you know, who do you go out and get? You know, do you get an Eric Stahl? Again, there's guys that are, are you know, at a premium right now are those centers. Are you going to be able to go and get a guy um, at a reasonable cap hit? So right now, the you know, maybe you go and get a, a Stastny, who's who's a known scoring guy. You know he's going to score in this market. He's going to get close to 20 goals. He's going to put up his 45, 50 points. So if I'm Vancouver, maybe looking at that guy, can you get him at a $3.5 million or $3 million cap hit? Uh, so, you know, Krejci maybe is a little bit over the hill as well, too. So there's not many guys out there. But for me, when I hear Heft, I'm thinking guys that can skate through checks, that can play that heavy game, make plays, and is uh, durable, right? Again, we've seen Vancouver the last couple of years. They've had some guys that have been on the shelf for, you know, weeks and weeks and months and months on end. So getting guys that are durable, that can play, skate through the center, and deal with that, that, that tough Western Conference, as they say. When looking at uh, Vancouver specifically, and uh, I think there's questions on defense. There's we just talked about could they add another piece up front that that would fit uh, in 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 that tough and in, in rough and tumble Western Western Conference. When you look at the roster, where do you see? Uh, and they've got the goalie thing that's that's dealt with now with the Demko contract. So if you had to pick. Uh, with the few assets that they do have, the Pedersen contract, the Hughes contract, that's still to come. So we don't really know exactly what they're dealing with financially. But if you had to just decide, okay, I'm going to put whatever money I have to make a bit of a splash, is it with a forward or is it with a defenseman? Uh, I think it's going to be forwards because, again, we saw what Demko can do. He's one of those guys, if there's major breakdowns, he could sort of hold the team into games too. Um, you know, are they going to replace a, an Edler as well too? So I'm looking at guys like maybe a Jaden Schwartz, guys that could come in and, and make some plays. Or you know, I know they're cash trapped. Do they trade for a, a uh, for a Tarasenko? We know that they're in the market uh, for a defense in the St. Louis Blues. Um, so again, there's some guys out there too. Why not a Thomas Tatar? I think they need a guy that they know exactly what they're going to get, a guy that's proven that could come in and, and be reliable. So unless they have a clone machine, I don't think they can clone and bring in two or three uh, Niels Hoaglanders. So they have to go to the well and try to do it. But at the same time, they are a little bit cash trapped. So it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, come free agency time. He's the great Anthony Stewart. Uh, thanks a lot for giving us some time here today, man. And uh, best of luck with the summer. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Anthony Stewart, sports analyst, uh, NHL analyst, and also on the Fan 590. Bick Nazar and Israel Fair here on Bick and the Boss. Uh, The Boss uh, is taking some time off. He's going to join us in like 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, You know, busy day, meetings, all the stuff. Couldn't, Couldn't be avoided. And uh, so you jumped in, and uh, the boss did want to share, hey, some thoughts on Euro 2020, the final yesterday. And I thought a really enjoyable match. I thought I think some people were expecting more fireworks, but I, I, I really thought it was a, 
a good affair. Now, I wish England created more chances and, and took more shots, I should say, more so than chances. But sure. Yep. Like I, I thought it was an entertaining match outside of just like hey, the 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 tension gripping you in a final, anyways. It was fun, and I'm very grateful as a neutral in that match that England scored early and sure. didn't get the worst case scenario of a scared team against an Italian team that was gonna do you know tactic them to death. Uh, your boy with an absolute amazing finish from the yeah, left wing back position, Luke Shaw. Uh, I've said it before. One of my favorite things in sports is got you know a little short list. Everybody's got them. It's just mm-hmm. these things. So for example, uh, I'm a big baseball guy. So any ball off the wall at Fenway and the sound that it makes, that's something that just that fills me with joy. Left or like wing back goals, outside <laughs> the fender goals yeah. are up there. And that wasn't you know a screamer from outside, but. What a finish to start things off, and that did set the tone. I think you're right that there's a criticism. I think it was a criticism of the England team throughout the tournament that even when they had a lot of the ball, I thought Raheem Sterling was pretty good on the ball yesterday, Mm -hmm. just not finishing, and I don't have to to get into the Harry Kane conversation just yet, but... would have been would have been a time for him to you know maybe put his put his head down with the ball at his feet and create not even just not it's not creating chances it's it's taking chances it's taking a shot and making mm-hmm. and, and converting and that's that's the win the difference between winning and losing not just a, at a, a international final but uh, in, in any any soccer game. So for me and look the people that that uh, you know listen every day and, and text and engage with us all the time and continue to do so six fifty six fifty. The issue I had is at some point, you've got to go take the game away from someone. You've got to go win the match. And you've got to be inventive. You've got to be creative. Dare I even say courageous, Izzy. You've got to be courageous and and go aspire for something bigger. And throughout this tournament, to their credit, and they were doing it successfully, they defended very well pushed everything away, and won the game by kind of choking it out. But the level constantly is going to rise as you get through a tournament. You're going to face better teams. You're going to face more desperate teams because now it's knockout phases. The it the course of a match and the course of how your matches progress are going to escalate. And are you going to retreat and say, hey, we win by deflecting everything away? Or are you going to take it head on and try to overcome? And yesterday, even with the lead in an advantageous spot for 88 minutes, they scored that goal, and you're right. It, it was good you know, for the match. It was good to get a goal injected in it. But at the same time, for, for England to, to capitalize on a result, it almost emboldened them to be who they are. And we, we talk about this all the time. In moments of stress, you're going to go back to who you are. And they really leaned into themselves rather than try to create. I didn't mind the five defenders. They've used it successfully. And, and the way they matched up versus Emerson and DiLorenzo, it made a lot of sense, right? Push everything inside. We'll neutralize anything from the outside. But they, they stopped trying to create, it felt like, for long stretches. And you just saw Italy grow into that match. As it went along, and then Jorginho starts mm-hmm. getting better. Verad, like all these guys, just started to grow into the match and really start to influence it. And 
at some point, it just felt England's only chance was going to be set pieces or penalties. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the second half, it was it was pretty stark. The difference yeah. between a team that was uh, strong in possession, moving the ball forward, and uh, yes, England. I mean, came out and played really well for the first few minutes of the game, rewarded with a goal. Uh, but the second half was <laughs> the start of the second half in particular was okay. The first this, twenty minutes was their opportunity, right? Like yep. the first twenty minutes, like that was their chance to, to to close it away, and they didn't. And like the lesson in there is not to. Say, boy, we missed our chance. Now let's lock up shop. The lesson is there. Let's go finish the job. Yep, they and, let them hang around. They and, let and Italy yeah. hang around. And, and we, we both have watched enough international footy at this point of the last 20, 30 years that uh, that's, that's one of the sides, uh, maybe, maybe just up there with the prime Germany, that you don't want to let hang around because mm-hmm. this, that's where they thrive. They thrive in that situation where when the pressure is ratcheting up, you talk about reverting back to who you are. Uh, that's that's what Italy is, and it's it's why they've had a ton of success. As easy as some of the stuff is to criticize, um, and and the the real cynical fans will look at will look at the diving or look at the real cynical challenges or the cynical tactics. But when they put it all together. They they're they're impressive, and while I don't think that uh, yesterday's game was by any means an A plus performance by them, it had all the elements of the game that we are used to seeing them play at a high level. Um, that there there were enough enough of those elements in the pot to to knock off England. I mean, it still went to penalties. It could, it could have gone any any way, either way. Uh, I mean, my big Southgate criticism is about the penalties, um, but that's. Uh, it goes to show uh, what you what you what you can do for yourself going into a game like that, where Italy is really comfortable. Uh, they didn't panic after they they conceded that early goal, and they grew into the game. And uh, at some point after 120, after penalties, someone's got to win, and it, it was their day. And, and the reason that like I, I've wanted them, I wanted England to, to to try to be a bit more attack minded, is. When you when you set up like this, you don't lend yourself to a lot of variations, right? Coaches make their money based off of adjustments, like in game, like that's how you make your money. And when you set up the way they do, like it's hard to now convince, like, hey, Kieran Trippier, I really need you to create attacking opportunities. Phillips and Rice, like, go get four. It's, it's like, well, they're not really set up to do that. They're set up for like. Sterling, Mount, Kane to try to create just amongst those three. And yep. we're all sitting there screaming like, when is Jack Grealish going to come on? Where, where, where's Sancho? Right? Like, at some point, someone's got to go take someone on and create this opportunity. And they just didn't have the guys you to do that. You weren't screaming for Jordan Henderson? <laughs> no, not at all. Like, <laughs> not at all. It, again, like, okay, he made substitutions, but they're like-for-like switches. It's It's Henderson for Declan Rice. It's... You're you're changing the 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 input, but it, the output's still gonna be the same. It, yeah. All you're doing is just changing the player, not the philosophy. And that's yeah. why, like, I wanted to see the best version of England. To me, was always more on the front foot. I, like, I wanted to see that because you can lend, you can change your style to adapt more defensively. That way, it's a lot harder to go the the, the other direction. Mount, I thought, had some real good moments early, kind of faded. Uh, Sterling, again, I thought he was good on the ball for for a lot of the game. I, I'm 
going to fixate a bit on Harry Kane and not getting quite enough from him as as the See, I thought the first half he was game. fine. I thought uh, the first half. But the expectations fine. for a guy like him, and maybe it's unfair, but the expectations for a player like him, and I'm admittedly biased. I'm an Arsenal supporter, so he's certainly <laughs> yes. not my favorite player. But I will acknowledge that statistically, if you just look at his goal rates in the Premier League, he is up there with the greatest strikers in the history of the Premier League. And then that's when you get into the conversation of, uh, is it counting stats? Is it empty calories? Uh, is he, can he do it in the biggest moments? All of that kind of stuff. And he's got really high expectations. That's kind of the, I guess, the cost of, of being uh, the next big England player. And I would have liked for him to grab the, the game by the scruff. And maybe some of that is tactics. Can't all necessarily fall onto him. But it would have been would have been ideal for England at some point if the, if he, he could go on some of the runs that, that he used to, to do pretty consistently with Tottenham. We haven't seen it nearly as much the last couple of years. Pick Nazar, Israel Fair will jump out for a break. Uh, coming up, C-Mac will join us, the boss. Yeah, back from a, a busy work day, but he did want to jump on to talk about Euro 2020. On the way here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. I'm not sure if this is about the story I told that, hey, I was walking through Olympic Village yesterday and I heard the Godfather music and I was sent into a trance. Or <laughs> or if we're playing this music because the boss is back. The Godfather, the Godfather. is here. Yeah. It's so a, great. A, a, tr- a true story, guys. And we're going to get into in England losing in a second. But I did the Olympics in Turin. And um, Darren Dreger was also with me. We went... And Sportsnet booked us, I'm not kidding you, a farmhouse up in the mountains, about 30 minutes outside of Torino. And we show up, and we're supposed to get this entire house to ourselves, but the Italian family of five did not move out. So we're up in the attic in this house where if the last log goes off the fire, it's completely freezing. And one of the sons who lived in the house played that song on the mandolin like repeatedly for us and and it was about the only entertainment we had when we're sitting there and Dreger and I are looking at each other and it was just so (laughs) weird but that that song whenever that it takes me back to uh the time I I I spent a month in a in an attic in Torino yeah I I just I I was was telling the story earlier like the Euros ends and People out celebrating, you know, I was out just touring Vancouver, went to Olympic Village, walking through Olympic Village, and a block over, someone's playing that, and, like, me and my friend just stopped, and that song just puts you in a spot. You Like, it, it just feels like, oh, I'm in front of the TV, watching The Godfather, that's what it is, and uh, it was it was unbelievable uh, getting to hear that there, and obviously because Italy wins uh, Euro 2020. I do like how you said England lost. It, it feels like it's being framed as an England losing uh, final, but to me, Italy won that one. Like down early, I get it. W- withstood the pressure of the first 15, 20 minutes, and then came into the game. They they evolved into the match, and at some point, obviously they they need the goal, but like it really started to turn uh, in that last hour. Uh, I guess last hour and a half if you want to go into extra time, but uh, in regular time, uh, from minute 30 to 90. They were full marks for getting the result. Well, in my opinion, Bick, they were outscored in the PKs. They were outcoached in the subs that were made. And they were outplayed from about the 20th minute on. I know people said 30. 
I looked at that match and, and at about 20 minutes, actually very quickly after the goal went in, Italy kind of settled in and played Italian uh, soccer or football that I've never seen before. But man, oh man, like England seemed scared to me. We, we talked about it on this uh, show lots about how they would handle the pressure when it finally came. And, and yeah, they faced some adversity against Denmark going down a goal. But in this case, in this moment, you know... Um, they just lost the plot, and by they, Southgate, making those subs, I felt so bad for those two players who came on with about a minute to go and then asked to take PKs ice cold and, and not being into the game because England had the quality to win it. And and and, and we can debate this, guys, and, and Izzy, I'd love to get your thoughts as well. I thought Italy was fading more in that second overtime period than they were in the first, mm-hmm. and had you brought on some speed and some class to really push the tempo and, and race after it, England could have been it. But no, they were too scared. The, the, the moment was too big for them. And when they finally got the pressure, they crumbled. And it's not coming home. And it's awesome, and I love it. And and <laughs> I, 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 I'm so happy. You know, listen, I'm not an Italian... It could have been anyone, Spain playing against them for all that matter. I was just so pleased to see England just choke right at the end. Did did that change at all, or did your optimism that they would revert to the England of old change after they score two minutes in on a pretty unbelievable build-up and finish? I mean, we didn't see anything close to that from them for the rest of the game, but that that at least gave a bit of an injection of maybe it's different. I I agree with you. After about 20 minutes, it kind of went away, but did did you think, oh, is there any doubt in your mind that uh, that, that you might have (laughs) have to see England win the Euro? Yes. I mean, hey, I'll be honest. When they scored on that first shot, I'm like, okay, hmm, interesting. This could be their tournament. You know, they, they'd had the the run of uh, home games, had performed very well. And, and up until this point, you know, people were criticizing the English for how they managed the games in, in using some of those great young players. And listen, this English side, if I'm being completely honest, sets up nicely for the World Cup. They get some great experience here. You know, it's not writing them off, but they won't get the opportunity to win it at home. But yeah, Izzy, I would say that I was a little concerned when you see that go in and a great wonder strike by a fullback or a wingback tactically one side to the other it does glance off the inside of the post so a tad fortunate in that that one doesn't go the other way and either comes straight back out or goes it off the park but yeah there was some doubt definitely but then watching the Italians attack and play I was like, oh, it's only a matter of time here before it comes in. And Bick, it was funny, against Germany, Bick predicted the uh, losing the, the PKs. Yeah. You, you were just a little bit too early, buddy, in, in your prediction, but you were spot on in how England was going to blow this. Right, look, right scoreline, right outcome. I even got the you know the final letter on the country is why. So I, I got most of it right. Uh, it, was just, it, just, it was just wrong, Germany instead of Italy. But it was, yeah, 1-1 in pens. Okay, so... You mentioned the, the guys coming off the bench, you know, minute 119 and go out there, strike penalty. That's all you had to do today. You know, part of me th- lives in the idea of, look, like these are professional football players, like go out, score a goal. It's not that big of a challenge. But when you think of like the actual machinations of that, of you're sitting cold for 119 minutes and you feel the energy and you feel the tension of the moment of you know, 60,000 people celebrating, you know, chanting, cheering, expecting it to come home and all that sort of stuff. And you let that build in your head for 119 minutes 
and then now you've you've got to just jump on and say, "Hey, I'm going to make these people's dreams come true." You don't have that seven to ten minutes to, you know, despite being a high pressure environment of a match, to kind of release your mind out of those thoughts and get engaged into what's happening in the match. That's like I, I always felt, "Hey, just go out, kick the ball," but. You know, when you think of the, the the scope of the moment, that's something like the manager probably should consider. Just even five minutes, bit of a run out instead of the last minute. Well, and look at Southgate's history with PKs for England. Like, you're right. It seems like, hey, who couldn't step up and take a PK and score? That, that looks like the easiest thing, you know, so close. Goalie doesn't have a chance. But I'm telling you, you know, whether you're playing rec league or you're playing at that level – it's a lot more difficult than you think. And to go in there to your point and not be into the flow of the game and and players, I won't say are robotics, but they're creatures of habit and they enjoy. And, and everyone talks about their escape being on the rink or on the playing field or on the diamond, that that's where they feel most comfortable to step on and then step into that at home with everything that was at stake. I mean, it, it is so difficult for a veteran player, let alone younger guys. And and guys, I, I, I will say this, and the, there is some stuff in here on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, as I get the plug in for the uh, sponsor, as I, I should. Um, the social media backlash and the racism, absolutely oh, horrible. trash, garbage. I, I can't believe that. That's, it, it just made me sick. You know, seeing, I had to stop looking. And, and again, I'm not the biggest Twitter guy, but this isn't their fault. These these young players for for being put in that position. We talk about that. Put them in position to succeed. They were not because, as I said, if they could have a run for 15 minutes in that extra period, and maybe they don't score. And yes, tactically, it would have hard to get Rashford in, perhaps um, in a, in a spot where you saw him go back for Shaw. But like, bottom line, guys go after it try and win it and then if nothing else those players have caught their breath now they're, they're a little more comfortable they're up and 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 into the game and not that they weren't focusing but having not played just so difficult and and again setting up for failure not success i thought and okay you mentioned the social media backlash and all the racist uh, messaging that's gone towards rashford sancho and saka and even rashford's mural uh gets to face i saw a lot of people uh you know putting good messages out there to help repair it and you know kind of reshape it a bit and, and and showing their support for rashford so a, I also want to point out how terrible and how awful it was to see everything, but also commend the community that are rallying to support the the, the players uh, in the face of all of this. I know some players have been outspoken about it already. Tyrone Mings has tweeted about it as well. And you, you think of how England have uh, taken on the challenge of, of embracing the conversation for, for social progress. To see it manifest in the way it did after the final is really, really disheartening and dispiriting uh, to see those actions. And look, this is uh, like I, I've been critical of Marker, Marcus Rashford's game as a Man United player and the expectations placed on him of a franchise or a, of a club. Tremendous human being, like phenomenal. Even his statement today that he put out on Twitter, like the courage and the responsibility he's aware of, of what he takes on with his platform, uh, like an unbelievable human. But uh, yes, thank you for bringing that up. And thank you for the person texting in as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that was, uh, it's unfortunately a part of European soccer. I mean, it happens uh, with the French national team. It happens with the Italian national team. It happens really in, in all of those countries. They, they seem to 
when the team loses, there seems to be these racial tensions that flame up, and it's, it's yeah, I mean, there aren't even words to really put it into to the actual context that, that it deserves because it's, it's really sickening. Uh, but when the thing about bringing the guys on for the PKs, it's it's an old FIFA video game move where right. you know you're getting late in the game and you're just going to put on all the guys that have the best shooting stats. But this is one of those things in in sports. And I'm I'm an analytics guy. Like I'll lean towards well, I think a lot of this stuff is overblown. In this case, I think putting guys on strictly to take PKs at the end of a game, especially couple of young guys and then I mean, Saka had played a little bit more than those two but had been subbed on in the game is just that's a feels like an impossible situation it feels like it never works out and uh, I couldn't believe that Sterling didn't take a penalty and and I guess there was some criticism coming out of out of England that that Sterling and Grealish didn't kick and that maybe they had uh, gotten cowardly and decided they didn't want to and, and that started a bit of war of words as well but that's that's the one to me and I mean, to what C-Mac was saying, I mean, we saw Rashford with about 10 minutes left in the extra time look, look like he was about to come on, and then he didn't come on until he came on with Sancho about five or seven minutes until the, from the first time that we saw him on camera where it became obvious, okay, they're strictly going to bring these guys on for the penalties. and Just a, a, a tough way to go out, though, I, I do think if you're just evaluating the totality of the tournament, the... The best team won, and and they did it. They did it in their their very Italian way. Yeah, and and I'll talk in a second about how I, I admire the Italians for how they played, unlike other Italian teams in the fa- in the past. But you mentioned it there, is he perfectly about how, you know, there's criticism when guys don't take PKs, but in a lot of situations, from my understanding and talking to some pro players and seeing it firsthand uh, as well. Some guys just don't like it. They can be the best goal scorer in the world. And, you know, you, you see Harry Maguire step up and smash one into the top that was corner. unbelievable. Like, that I, I really rewatched cool. it That today. was really cool. Yeah. I, look, I watch every United match, and this guy's been on the squad for a couple of years. I had no idea he had that in his locker. Like, that was I, unbelievable. I, I thought when he hit it, it was the classic defender over the bar. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought he Beckhamed it. I thought it was going, yeah. like... 18 rows up. That was yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And by the way, nephew Dom doppelganger there, eh? <laughs> Dom Shermati? Is that not Dom Shermati? Like, every time I see the guy, I'm looking, that That looks like Halford and Bruff's producer, Dom Shermati. But but the, the, the Italians, let's give them some credit. Like, they found their footing, but they played some really attractive stuff. And against an English side that, you know, parked the, whatever the double-decker bus, you want to call it, for most of that, and they were... They were patient. They penetrated. They they had those little tiki taka short passes. Were looking to to go at them and open them up and and didn't try to force it and didn't just go route one and hit it long and hope. No, no. They 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 stayed the course. They played the way they were playing. And and Bick, you've said it numerous times. Whatever sport it is, it's about identity. They kept their identity, and that's what kept them successful. Because you know the best team won that. And I wasn't so sure when it went to PKs because it's always a lottery. And and I was chuckling you know for you know Brendan Batchelor or Halford and Bruff all these English supporters because I'm <laughs> sure it was just sitting there for them they thought, oh this is finally the one but uh you know the the, I was happy to saves. see the best they actually one. got saves from the keeper like yes that was, and those were huge 
Pickford, he did everything he could. And and listen, we I was joking last week about his demonstrative, you know, yelling and screaming for the camera because he's just a, a let's call him a poser. But no, he did really well. <laughs> like, you know, that that was impressive to me, his job. But yeah, the the, the pressure on, on everyone in PKs, it's so tough. And I might have relayed this story before, but back in the day, Craig Forrest used to do some soccer with him and he was in street clothes, a suit with, with uh, you know, loafers on. He went in net one day at uh, BC Place when we were preparing for a Canada match and all of us media types just took some spot shots against him. No one scored. His arms, the, the net looked as big as a hockey goal when he was standing in there. So I could only imagine what it would be like when you were either an English player or an Italian player. Uh, you, it, it, you know, we're talking here about England, obviously, uh, quite a bit. And, and it seemed like you mentioned uh, how, how impressed you were with Italy. I just thought any time that there was, like, after minute 20, like any time it felt like England was about to flare up and create something, Benucci, Chiellini back there, like the coolest guys in the world. Just, hey, uh, I'll just head it back to the keeper, no big deal. Yeah, I'll just yeah, clear this one out. Oh, you're trying to make a run? I'll block you off. Don't worry about it. Like, to me, those two guys, as cool and as slick as everything was, the passing up front, those two guys personified, I thought, what the Italians were this, in this tournament. Just, it, they were so calm, so cool. We'll get the result, don't worry. And it, it's perfectly uh, set out there that Bonucci is the one that scores and you know gets them back into the match like that. I, I thought those two guys were just absolute pillars. Well, I'll ask both you guys now that now that it's over. And I think as soon as Italy started playing in the group stage and, and looking like they, they did look like the probably the favorite from the start just based on how they started to play and they've had I mean the guys the big mentioned there stood out and and I think it's maybe not the same star-studded side that we are used to seeing from Italy but the the collective was was incredible but overall in this tournament whether it's the England run to the final and everything positive and negative that have come through that this Italy team I mean France's classic blowout where uh, they just get in their own way, and and, and uh, they've got the best, probably the best, the most talented team on paper, but but can't put it together on the field. Uh, what, how will you guys remember this this particular Euro, which is Euro 2020 played in 2021? Uh, with uh, I, I think by by all accounts, it's one that uh, people will have pretty fond memories of. The the, the quality of the games was pretty good. There was some some dramatic moments, uh, and it, it it paid off with uh, with a final that. Uh, Maybe not the best game ever played, but uh, certainly entertaining. Yeah, the the final was better than some. Because, you know, you, you see those tournaments, and, and it can happen in hockey too as well, where the final doesn't amount to what you hope because teams are tense. And they, and they like England, they play not to win. They play not to lose. You know, that sort of mindset. But for me, the the, the, the moment obviously is Ericsson. And, and seeing that, mm-hmm. never witnessing anything like that before. But... Just the way the country, the team rebounded, you know, coming back to play, which was so absurd now that you look back at it and and almost like the team was in shock when they agreed to that. And the fact that he got healthy and the fact they went as far as they did. And hey, England was better on the day and deserved to advance the final. But that that moment or that part of Euro is one I remember. But to to what you just said... The, the quality was great. There were some fantastic matches. And, and I was only pissed off. It's the one day that, that everything went off and all the great games. And Bick and I are working on a Monday. But uh, that, that's the only disappointing part I had when you saw Spain, Croatia. Like all these goals are being scored. And, and oh, yeah. We're, that we're day doing was that. amazing. 
Yeah, it was crazy. That that day stuck out, but the, the moment for me was the Erickson moment and the fact that it had, I'll say, I, I guess not a happy ending in the sense of they didn't win it all, but they, they got so far and, and his health appears to be back on the right track. So that that, that was kind of it for me. I, uh, I I like to do this thing for every world tournament of like my most fun to watch 11, right? Like field a lineup and and not the best 11, just who I enjoyed watching the most. And so for if you're asking me what I took away, when I was kind of doing that exercise, I realized, oh, there's a lot of Danish players in this in this team here. I, you know, I threw in Christensen. I threw in Hoigberg. I wanted to throw in a couple of other guys. And it, it's just to echo your sentiments there, Seabach. It's like they, to me, it, you know, whether it's because the underdog story, because the Christian Eriksen thing, they, to me, were the story of the tournament. And it, it was so easy to just rally behind them and, and – be so impressed and and to their credit like they didn't park the bus right they, it wasn't greece in 2004 they were trying to attack the games and and that's to me what i look at i think by and large you know as this game gets so refined and teams are getting a bit more cautious especially in world tournaments right you, you don't want to make the one mistake it was it was nice to see a country be so ambitious to try to uh win games uh, with with their skill and their talent. Yeah, and think about it too. And I know you're going to sign off and, and tee up the people show. And Dan Riccio is probably oh, yeah. still running around shirtless in commercial drive. You'll have to go to the Riccio <laughs> cam and, and pick him up there. But um, his you know his, his live stream during the penalties was unbelievable. It's still yeah. on his Twitter page. Go watch it. It's 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 great content. Yeah, and and you think about the Italians lost Chiesa in that game. Their their best player on the day lost their best player of the tournament, in my opinion, outside of the keeper. Uh, Spinazzola, the fullback, like, and they just mm-hmm. found a way, and they were a team from start to finish. And guys, I, I will never admit or try and do this again, but I, I, I do have a little song to sing. It's not coming home. It's not coming home. It's not. All right, that's enough. But uh, <laughs> happy to happy that for every Italian person, and and hey, England, there's always the World Cup. Is that uh, P Diddy? So you're C Diddy. <laughs> no Mac <laughs> yeah Mac, Mac Daddy Diddy? or something like that. Yes, Mac yes, Diddy yes, yeah yes, that, 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 that was terrible but I, I, I couldn't resist that's awesome uh, yeah Euro 2020 over I imagine uh, I suspect England will be around for the World Cup uh, a really good squad they'll uh, they'll bounce back and they'll be around uh, come World Cup next year it's uh, Bick and the boss and Israel Fair uh, so boss you can get out of here now alright I'm gone thanks there guys go. great job today Appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you tomorrow. Uh, it is uh, Picknick's Our Israel Fair, the people show on the way. And, yeah, Dan Riccio going to be fired up at 3 o'clock. What a day for uh, Reach. Uh, you get to hear his reaction in just a moment. Izzy, thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Always fun, dude. It's uh, Pick and the Boss taking off here uh, on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.